Hi, I'm Stuart Craner and this is a Thinkers 50 podcast. Today I'm talking to Henry Chesbrough, the creator of the concept of open innovation, executive director of the Garwood Centre for Corporate Innovation at the Haas School of Business. Henry, welcome. Well, thank you, Stuart. It's great to be here. So, all ideas have a backstory. What's the genesis of open innovation? Oh boy, that's a great one. I had been uh, working at Harvard doing research uh, case studies, really, on Xerox, uh, Intel, Lucent, IBM, and writing up my case studies to use in my classroom. And uh, all junior Harvard professors are encouraged to do this so the material you're teaching to your students is fresh. Well, the idea came to me after a few years of this that uh, what if I put these cases together side by side uh, what larger patterns might emerge? And my desire to connect these dots was increased when my colleagues at Harvard informed me that I was not only not going to have to get tenure, but I would have to leave. So uh, there was a certain amount of uh, urgency, and I would even say, uh, you know, uh, sticking it to the man, that uh, proving to them that there was, uh, they were making a terrible mistake. So that got me to start thinking across uh, the, the patterns I had observed. So I started to write a book. And uh, the nice thing about writing actual paragraphs and chapters versus PowerPoint slides is it really makes you work through things in a little bit more detail. And in the process of doing that, I came up with a manuscript and then the question came, so what does one call this? And I had a working title that I cannot remember, but it was something about uh, getting more leverage out of a technology for a company or something, and I knew it wasn't the right title. And so I was trying to describe this to my wife, uh, and she was very patiently listening. She had no tolerance for jargon, so she made me explain in non-technical terms what it was I thought was interesting. And at some point in my discussion with her, the term open innovation came out of my mouth. And when it came out of my mouth and I heard it, I knew that was the title for the book. So it, it, there was not a eureka moment uh, in coming up with the concept, but in the labeling of it, uh, there was such a moment. Thank you, Mrs. Jesper. That's right. So how do you explain it? When you, when you meet strangers and they say open innovation, what, what's the pithy dis distilled version? So it depends a little bit on uh, the level of the person I'm talking to. If I'm talking to a senior executive uh, in the C-level of a company, I actually won't use the innovation word initially. Rather, I'll use the word growth, and in particular, organic growth. Uh, I've yet to meet a senior executive that thinks growth is unimportant. They all care about that. Some of them are quite agnostic about whether you need innovation to get there so I've learned to start with the growth story. Then the question of how can you do more with less? How can you move faster, the whole speed dimension? Uh, and then how can you also get more uh, higher utilization of assets, sharing and pooling of risks? So between cost, time, and risk, uh, these are the levers uh, for the senior levels of the organization. When I get into the conversation with sort of middle managers who are in charge of R&D, innovation, these kinds of things, 
I then do use uh, the term innovation. And there I s explain that it, really in a nutshell, it's about opening the innovation process means using more of other people's thoughts and ideas in your own innovation process and letting the things that you have developed but are not using going out for others to use in their process. So there's an outside-in path and an inside-out path. I'm careful to keep that away from the senior levels of the organization, but at the middle levels, uh, I do that. Uh, and then at the people who are just getting going and getting started, uh, I'll try to use more expansive language, like all of us know more than any one of us. And so we need to create processes that take advantage of all the knowledge that's out there to get better stuff sooner. So different messages to different audiences. And presumably, I mean, this is a few years in, the concept has been, under, well, it's been explored and understood to a greater or lesser extent throughout the world. How is what is now happening in your organizations different from what you imagined would happen? Yeah, I have a sort of a two-part answer to that. On the academic side, uh, the Eskimos have something like 60 words for snow. And the academic equivalent of that is uh, what we mean by open innovation uh, fragments, depending on whom you speak to. On the industry side, uh, I would say that the outside-in part of the open innovation model has been well-established and, and widely adopted. I even did a survey with Fraunhofer Institute uh, of large companies in Europe and the U.S. and found that 78% uh, of the companies we surveyed with annual revenues of more than $250 million annually uh, were already practicing uh, the outside-in part of the open innovation model. What's less common is the inside-out part of open innovation. Uh, and I think that's an area where much remains to be done because when you're looking at the inside going out, part of what's missing is you're not sure what the right business model is to take advantage of these new possibilities or technologies. Whereas on the outside in, you have a business model and you're trying to feed the beast uh, and put more stuff in. So the search for business models is an area that I find very interesting uh, and I've done some, some recent collaborative work with people like uh, Alex Osterwalder and Steve Blank to try to explore some of these inside-out processes uh, under the rubric of this lean startup activity, but in the context of a, a company trying to leverage internal technologies outside its core businesses. By its, by its very, very nature, open innovation is, is lean. Yes, it is. Uh, Eric Ries has done a nice job of articulating a philosophy of lean drawn from the Toyota production system and the quality revolution of the 1980s and uh, nicely made the observation it's the leanest thing is to make something customers want to buy. It's very unlean to make all this investment in a new product that nobody wants. Uh, what open innovation contributes to this is you don't have to do it all yourself. And indeed, you can work with things that others have already developed, perhaps for a different purpose. And by repurposing it for your own use, uh, you're recycling. Uh, it's very lean. It's very efficient, as you say.
And I mean, yeah, it's kind of a high, well, not hierarchies, you know, in the evolution of the thinking about innovations. So now there's Nabi Raju talking about Jugad innovation, which you can see from what you've just, you've just said is, is linked in, in a variety of ways, and reverse innovation from BJ Gunnarari is linked. The being cynical, I've always got a slight thing when people talk in organizations talk about collaboration and openness to ideas. The cynic inside me suggests that people in organizations aren't often open to ideas or up for collaboration. Yeah. You must encounter that sort of cynicism. I actually, uh, to me, that sounds much more like realism than cynicism. Uh, and there was some, some nice work uh, done by a student of Kareem Lakani's at NASA. Uh, which had adopted one of these open innovation programs to solicit ideas from the outside. And what the students' research showed, and she went down to NASA for, I think, 18 months every week to sit in on the staff meetings and interviewed dozens of people there. The people that went to NASA joined them because it was rocket science, and they did want to uh, really tackle these really tough problems. Well, once we start taking ideas from the outside, what's my role as an engineer at NASA? What am I supposed to do if we're just giving out these little prizes and awards and recognition to the people outside? What's my role? Uh, and then another aspect of this is when you have different projects competing for resources to go into the business, to be adopted by the business units and go through the marketing, promotion, and launch, et cetera, uh, there's a competition for these resources. The projects that come up from the inside of the organization have internal champions to kind of take them forward. Uh, one of the concerns I see is some of the projects that come from the outside are like the red-haired stepchild uh, and don't have an internal champion to carry them forward. So even if it's a, a very interesting, plausible idea and worthy of some prize or recognition at the beginning, that by itself doesn't guarantee it's going to go through into the business and into the market in competition with these other projects. And how is your thinking now? You've just spent some time in, in Spain working and thinking there. How, how has the idea of open innovation moved on now? So one of the things that came from my nine-month uh, stay in Spain uh, was a much deeper exposure to... Uh, the innovation activities of European companies and also the European policy-making apparatus. Uh, in the U.S., we don't really have uh, somebody in charge of innovation in the federal government. There's no chief innovation officer. There's no department of innovation in the federal government. Uh, instead, what you have are uh, silos uh, of innovation. You've got the whole defense silo. Uh, in the Department of Defense. You've got the National Science Foundation, the National Institutes of Health, the Small Business Administration, and all these people have sizable budgets to support innovation, but they don't talk to each other, they don't connect, and they don't coordinate. Uh, in the EU, by contrast, there is a Ministry of Research and Innovation with a budget. There is a central program called Horizons 2020 that is a 80 billion euros over seven years, that's a big pool of money, but centrally organized and centrally coordinated. And I would say that uh, 
I've, I've gotten to know some of those people. I've been to some of the meetings and the conferences. Uh, and there's no question that in the day-to-day -day innovation activities of many European companies, uh, the government is a more central actor uh, than would be the case in the U.S. I've had lots of workshops in the U.S. where we'll have spent the whole day on innovation, and we won't talk about the government once in, in an eight-hour workshop. Uh, I don't think I could go for 45 minutes in a similar workshop in Europe without some of this coming up. How well does open innovation, the concept like that, go down in countries like India or, or China or other emerging markets? It certainly is uh, going better in some places than others. Uh, the farther north you go in Europe, uh, the better I think open innovation is accepted and practiced. Uh, as you go further south in Europe, uh, more questions, more barriers, more problems. When you leave Europe and the U.S. and you go to another developed economy like Japan, open innovation is only just getting started in Japan. There actually are these informal networks now uh, called the Japan Open Innovation Network is one of the big ones. Uh, it's just getting started. There are a few faculty at universities working on it, a few people in industry, but I would say it's not well accepted or well established. Then we move to India or China. Um, at the Garwood Center at Berkeley, where I am, we're doing a lot of activity now with uh, the Indian government, not only at the national level, but at the state level, the different states within India as well. And a few of them have really embraced it because they see it as a way to leapfrog uh, the earlier stage in the U.S. where there were these big industrial research laboratories of large colossus kinds of companies uh, they don't want to have to make that kind of investment first. They'd like to sort of skip past that. And they see open innovation as a way to maybe do that and leverage the strength in the IITs that they do have in India to try to get more value from a business sense out of the intellectual capital and the knowledge that's coming out of some of these elite institutions. Uh, China is a different story uh, from India. Uh, the, the government is much more centrally involved in China. The state-owned or former state-owned enterprises still play a huge role in the commanding heights of the Chinese economy. And I've had some good conversations with a small number of companies, but it's fair to say that uh, they are looking for open innovation with Chinese characteristics. Uh, they're not interested in simply uh, aping the practice uh, that's currently out there in the U.S. or in Europe. What gets you out of bed in the What's the motivation, motivating force behind your, your, your work? The thing that's getting me out of bed uh, lately is something I described to you before we started the podcast uh, that I think of as an innovation paradox. Uh, with this wonderful bounty of innovation we have coming out of Moore's Law and artificial intelligence and software eating the world in the words of Mark Andreessen, all of this should be improving productivity of the workforce. And yet, when you look at the productivity statistics, uh, not only are they not accelerating, they're actually, the growth is slowing down. So productivity is increasing, but at a decreasing rate relative to 20, 30 years ago, which is almost the reverse of what you would expect 
given all the excitement that there is about innovation. So that's, that's the kind of problem that I don't fully understand it yet, and I haven't fully thought it through, but I like wrestling with those kinds of problems because it, it, it's kind of bothersome to me that uh, in, uh, Berkeley is right next door to Silicon Valley, and we're really one of the hot spots in the world for this stuff. Uh, and yet it doesn't seem to be helping the lives of my children, your grandchildren, um, in terms of what the wages they can expect and so forth. So uh, this is one that I find really interesting. Do you think that open innovation has made the world a better place? Yes. Uh, yeah, that's the, the easy answer, but I do think that it has uh, created more access for more people to uh, participate in uh, something that previously was uh, the, the high priests of engineering and science and research, and then the rest of us would look on in awe uh, at the output, the wonders they would create. Now, now, we still need some of those really wonderful, smart people, but I think there's an awful lot that, that the rest of the world can offer and contribute as well, and I think open innovation has helped to mobilize that. So I, I actually do think it has helped. I think you're right. Henry Chesbro, thanks very much. Stuart, Thank it's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. That was a Thinkers 50 podcast. Thinkers 50 podcasts are produced by KDH Creative.